Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park, or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This is the Music Buzz Podcast. The Music Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dane Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Syme, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz podcast. I'm joined by our co-host, Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hey, Andy. How are you today? I'm good. And Hugh Syme. What's up, Hugh? Hi, Andrew. How are you? Our guest today on the Music Buzz podcast is a true icon and legendary guitar, singer, songwriter, and innovator whose career has seen him in bands such as Humble Pie and The Herd, released the biggest selling live album in history, appear in The Simpsons and Family Guy as himself, a New York Times bestselling author, and has worked with the likes of A Beatle, The Ox, The Starman, and Pearl Jam, among others. <laughs> Pretty cool. Without further Very ado, cool. proud to welcome Peter Frampton to the Music Buzz podcast. Welcome, Peter. Well, thank you, and good to see you all. Yeah, Peter. It's truly an honor to talk to you today. Man, I first became a fan of yours in 1971 when I was 11, and I bought the Rockin' at the Fillmore record. Arguably the blueprint for ACDC and any and all hard rock bands of that ilk. A total classic. As a live band, three great singers, smoking rhythm section, and you and Steve Marriott, two killer guitar players with great improvisational chops, and your soloing is so lyrical, rhythmically precise, and recognizable. I've always called it that Frampton scale. You don't sound like anybody else. Always sound like yourself, and you always land on your feet when you're playing. And I personally feel that you were in that small group of rock originals, like with Clapton, Beck, Page, and Hendrix. Always totally unique and identifiable. An iconic guitar player. And I'd like to carry on for just a moment with 15 essential Frampton tracks our listeners may have not heard. We've all heard Frampton Comes Alive. We've all heard a lot of Peter's stuff, but these might be some deep cuts that people might want to go back to. And I'm going to go way back here, as safe as yesterday is. 
mm. the title track from that record, that Humble Pie record from 69. And that was a group composition. It's fantastic. You just need to hear it if you haven't. Stick Shift, which is was your tune from that record. Mm -hmm. It's heavy and psychedelic. And man, I just and I listened to all these songs yesterday and the day before. That still sounds modern today. It's really cool. Stick Shift. Check it out. It's just badass. From the first A&M record, Live With Me, Come On Now, the blueprint for Humble Pie. Everybody sang. Your vocal's killer, man. You're on that last verse. The pitch is, it's just, you have to hear it to believe it. It's really great. Great band vibe. And then on that same record, the Earth and Water song, that's my personal favorite song that you've written. Thank you. Fabulous songwriting. To me, it's comparable to anything on Who's Next or... Now you just have to check it out, people. Earth and Water song from the first A&M Humble Pie record, 1970. Sour Grain from Rock On. Mm. Great song that you and Steve wrote together. Mm -hmm. Great arrangement. That whole record was really well arranged. I Walk on Gilded Splinters. Hello. A Dr. John cover on Rockin' with the Fillmore. It was one whole side when I had it, you know, <laughs> started that thing. And man, I used to listen to that thinking, these guys are the best guitar players I've ever heard in my life. And... I heard a different version of this from the complete recordings. I think it's the third song on it. Mm -hmm. I think it's better than the one that came out when I was a kid. It was fabulous. I mean, just the interplay. Well, thank just you. Just a classic rock band. Okay, I'm moving on. Fig Tree Bay from your first record, which I bought when it first came out, because, you know, it came out right after that Humble Pie record. Total classic from Winds of Change. Beautiful lyric, melody, and guitar solo, of course. Days Dawning from Frampton, the 75 record where you had the Marriott shirt on. Man, it always kind of reminded me of maybe if Steely Dan and Paul McCartney were hanging out and wrote a song together, it would sound something like that, except it was even better than that. It's a great song. Thank you. The Bigger They Come, Reunion with Marriott, that should have been a hit single. Mm -hmm. And that may be my favorite guitar solo anybody's ever played. That's unbelievable. A triplet little section in that. Anyway, fabulous. If you guys haven't heard The Bigger They Come, you got to hear it. A Day in the Sun from the 94 Peter Frampton record. Great song. Classic song of yours. Great slide stuff on it. Out of the Blue. With Steve. With Steve on there. Always love that. Thank you, Mr. Churchill. I had not heard until a couple of days ago, and it blew my mind. That's the title track from that record that came out. I don't know. It's maybe 10 years ago or something. Man, that's one of the coolest tunes i've ever heard the hard rock sections sound like just pie now but it's got a lot of proggy things going on and the guitar solo at the end is genius level that's a great record i, I have a, a confession to make in regards to that record since you brought it up i was working on a um, fundraising event a few years ago which i've worked on for many years and i went to pick up some prizes you know for the raffle they gave me a bunch of stuff and one of the things they gave me was the vinyl of, uh, of that record and I said, I'm, nice. I'm going to keep this for myself. Thank you very much. <laughs> I did. Uh, so, um, you know, that's probably not the right thing to do, but I, I do have the vinyl. It's, it's fantastic. So, <laughs> okay. And I, I feel like I needed to get that off my chest. Well, thank you. Vinyl is the way. I mean, since we've been doing vinyl again and the demand is, is increasing, um, it, it's so great to get back to that. I mean, uh, it's fantastic. It sounds so cool i mean especially you know sitting in front of your speakers no headphones no beats no nothing big speakers big amp turned lovely turntable and yeah. everything seems to sound warmer and just i don't know i it just it, it gets to my soul quicker <laughs> oh yeah 
Oh, I totally agree. We talked about it a lot with other guests. And I mean, Hugh is a graphic artist. Uh, yes. Album covers. If anybody's thrilled about the return of vinyl, it's Hugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, no, the canvas got larger, uh, which is lovely. Yeah. Uh, speaking of canvases, and this is just an aside, though. I did do a comp for, thank you, Mr. Churchill, for, uh, you were with Universal at the time, I think. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. that album was, yeah. Barton, Barton called me in on that, and I did do a comp. I still think my comp was better than your cover, but that's okay. <laughs> 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 I'm sure it was. No, no, no. It's, it's beyond <laughs> No, I'm joking. We'll get to that topic eventually, but... But yeah, I thought my bulldog on the front cover was way way cooler. Oh. <laughs> Your image was great, though. The image with the... Uh, and you don't do a lot of conceptual covers. I've noticed that about you. Right. Yeah, you tend to be... Uh, you like to take your shirt off and, and things like that. No, I'm just kidding. Now, wait a second. I haven't <laughs> done that in 45 years. Oh, okay. there you go. Right. I, I'm, I mean, I don't even I don't even take it off to sleep. Right. Just in case Scavolo comes into my bedroom and snaps another shot of me. <laughs> I spare the beach myself for the last 20 years. No, but I, speaking of great covers, I think the Now cover with, with you in the room is very cool. That, that poignant lonely black and white shot was beautiful thank you see i was cincinnati that was a building in cincinnati downtown yeah that's right you lived in cincinnati for a, about 15 years didn't you yes yes yeah. moved up there we were in nashville we'd moved from la I, we, i've lived so many places in america it's it's insane but we had the 94 earthquake yeah that's why Huge i left one. so then uh, my publisher said have you thought about ever thought about going to nashville and writing with there's so many great writers and i said no but i would love to i that's great for bringing it up so on the way to the airport my wife said i hope you really like nashville so because she wanted to get out of la you know after that mm. so uh don't blame her and so we were down here for about six years and and then um we had a family issue so we had to move up to to be close to grandma yeah Good for you, man. Well, when I was in L.A., my daughter was only eight months old. And I remember making my way down the hallway, stepping on broken pictures. And, and yes. you know, I didn't I didn't take my shoes off and I barely slept in the bed for about two weeks before we decided to basically pull the Beverly Hillbillies and fill a truck by ourselves and just drive back to a home we had in the Midwest, which is where I, I'm living now. Yeah. And there's something about being away from L.A. and only visiting it that makes more sense to me. I, I like that idea. Yeah. It's a lovely place to visit. Yeah. yeah. If you need a city fix, then Airbnb, you know, that's what they, ha <laughs> they have them in London. They have them in Paris, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Same with New York for me. My son and one of my daughters lives. Uh, li they both live in uh, in Los Angeles. Um, they're doing their thing out there. And, and you know, so they're. they're they're doing really well, so I'm very happy. But I miss them, and especially yeah. since you know the travel. It's it's been tough. It's been tough. Your son's a guitar player, right? And singer songwriter. Yes. Did I read? Yeah. Yes, he is. Yes, yeah, so Julian Crampton band, and oh, um, cool. Yeah, he's had a couple of things on on uh, been played on Sirius, and so he's 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 getting there. You know, he's it's so tough. Um, I, I can't help him. No. It's not the same. In the no. old days, I could have helped him get a label. You don't need a label. Now, right. I, I could have helped him do a lot of things that I have no control over right now. 
Um, like I have no control over my releases, even though sure. some some I release on my own. Some Frampton forgets the words is back with Universal. I have a deal with them for three records. Also a cool cover. You know, conceptually, you have I, I've noticed that there's only a handful of covers like Wind of Change and uh, um, for, you know forget the words. Those are very unlike the Frampton that we've all come to know. You know, well, notwithstanding the shirtlessness. Yeah. Well, it's just that, um, you know, I've got past the stage where I think I should be on the cover. And I disagree. Now just disputes that. Well, I just I just thought, um, you know, we needed something because the title's so funny. Um, yeah. Anyway, you know, we needed something bizarre. And I wanted sort of a hypnosis type, you know, storm ah. type idea for that. That's where I live. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, I know. Improbable reality. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and and I I'm I'm I've got to that point a little late in life when I'm really trying to do different stuff because I've done most things uh, this way, that way, whatever. So I'm always foraging to find a new challenge uh, in in my music, obviously, but in my in my art. My I mean, my dad was an art teacher, and I think that's why I sort of blocked art out because he was so damn good, I couldn't compete. So I picked up the guitar and and I got better than him very quickly. So there was no competition. Right. I think that's what happened. So, but now in my later uh, years, I I appreciate art so, so much. And- um, He was a painter. His forte was pen and ink. Ah, lovely, yeah. He was an amazing teacher. I mean, he was one of those teachers and I hear this from my friends. I never got taught by him except for one day, and it was enough. That was enough. Calling my dad, sir, you know. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, and, you know, he was just well-loved. And, you know, obviously, uh, David David Jones was was one of his pupils for three and a half, four years. And and Dave and, and dad were friends and, until... They had a special relationship and they were friends until we lost dad. And guess who was the first person to call when they heard? It was David. So that was the kind of relationship they had. And George Underwood, who did Ziggy Stardust and other stuff, for, who's a terrific fine artist, of course, taught my, my father. Yeah. Oh, wow. Where did he teach? It was, a, it was at the time it was called Bromley Technical High School. It was before comprehensive. So you had... Uh, you had three tiers of schooling. You had grammar school, technical school, and uh, secondary modern. Right. I remember those. I lived in Sunderland for almost six years. And so I, I went to the Bede Grammar School for Boys, which was a, a treat. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, I went to the technical school for one year. And that's when Dave and I and, and George Underwood, it was the Three Musketeers. We would jam on the stairway in my dad's art block. You know, then I went to the I got beat up by the the only two guys in the school that hated my father. Um, <laughs> and uh, and my father said, that's enough of this. We're not going to have this. So um, I took the 13 plus, I think it was called in those days. Yeah. And I made it to the grammar school. So nice. he moved me. Bullies were a problem even back then. Sounds like. Yes, I was the outcast because I was from Canada and I was always called the Yank because I just had a North American accent. Oh, as much as I might have been an enigma and a curiosity, I was also a source of annoyance 
to the to the guys that knew how to hold on to your school tie and give you the naughty on the nose you know right i learned that <laughs> I, I learned that technique of fighting by living in england yeah there you go so from that time peter when when you changed schools tell us how you got interested in music specifically the guitar and that time leading up to the herd you know the face of 68 that whole thing and eventually humble pie well the synopsis here is that my parents told me that it was getting too serious i was getting too obsessed by music guitar and they said if you're going to do this you've got to learn how to do it properly so they sent me to classical guitar lessons which i you know wasn't thrilled about um i wanted to play the shadows and the ventures at that point so um i went there but when i went there i met this other guy tony terry nicholson who we formed the very first band that played out i had the little ravens at school but this was the first band that played out called the true beats so that's how that's how i started and we started doing all instrumentals then the beatles came out we had to start singing and um we would do eddie cochran roy orbison uh cool. buddy holly numbers as well but a lot of instrumentals i started off doing that and writing our own instrumentals and everything and then from that point on i moved on to the herd and this was a difficult situation for me because when i was 16 i could either at the end of that school year i could either drop out go get a job or come back for the sixth form for three years two three years and then go to college um university and i wanted to, i was all ready to go to uh, the guild school all of guild hall school of music yeah and um if i could have got in so but during the summer after i turned 16 this band the herd local very big local band south london band asked me to to sit in for the summer they'd lost their, their one of their guitar players so i said yeah i'd love to and uh so but at the end of the of the summer when it was time to go back to school uh the two lead singers uh leaders of the band um andrew bown and gary taylor came to me and said look uh, we'd really like you i know you're still at school we'd really like you to join the band well i said oh you're asking a, my father's a teacher and my mother's the secretary to the the head of the girls school i said they're all about education i said this isn't going to go down well so anyway i went back and because my mother had been denied she was offered a, a scholarship to rada royal academy of dramatic art mm. um wow when she was at school and her mother it was the 20s totally denied go get a secretarial job and bring money home basically that was it. so her her dream was denied so when i went home that day very sheepishly saying mom and dad i need you to sit down i have to ask you something and and uh i told them that the herd had asked me to join and that's when uh my dad well i think <laughs> steam came out of my dad's ears and his eyes <laughs> got very small and he had a tight lip you know right and mum started to smile because i think it just brought everything back to her mm -hmm. my wow. dad said you know yeah words to that effect and and my mother said leave it with me and of course she talked him into it so that was the beginning of everything i joined the herd and within a year we were on top of the pops and uh is that right yeah 
Yeah, we were we got a residency at the Marquee Club, which is you know the showplace yeah, of showplaces sure. or was in London at that point. And Steve Rowland, the record producer, um, American, um, actually sang the lead on Alley Oop. Oh wow! Oh really? That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And um, so anyway, he told Howard and Blakely about the band, uh, the Herd. They got us in to do some demos for a band called that. Howard and Blakely were managers and writers and Steve was the producer. And so they said, we'd like you to do some demos for uh, Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Tip. I remember them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to say it again. Um, That's a tough so, one. <laughs> uh, so we went in, they were testing us out in the studio and we passed the audition, obviously. And then, then they, they started writing songs for us. They wouldn't let us put our own songs out on the A side. They wanted their songs. They were known for hit songs. You know? Yeah. So that's that's how the herd started. And then, of course, everything sort of went wacky. Uh, we got very, very famous in Europe and, and, and UK. Um, but we were losing a lot of money. And in the end, I thought we were I, I escaped a sinking ship and um, uh-huh. yeah. ended up with forming a band with Humble Pie with uh, Steve Merritt, Humble Pie. So originally, Steve wanted you to join the Small Faces, right? Yes. So what what was the deal with that? Well, you see, we'd just done, um, Glenn Johns, the engineer producer, um, had had, uh, called me and said, I'm doing this uh, album with Johnny Halliday in, in Paris. We're going over to Paris. And Johnny wants to do songs by... Um, Steve Merritt and Ronnie Lane. He loves the small faces. And so I said, oh, that's fantastic. They're my, I mean, they were my, one of my favorite bands. I always wanted to be in the small faces. So uh, he said, but we need an extra guitar player. Can you make it? I said, you're kidding me. I said, yeah, of course. I get to join the small faces for a whole week, you know. So it was a that's dream awesome. come true at that point. It yeah. really was, yeah. you know. Not Looking bad. around and there they all are, you know, the small, it was just great. And Steve and I and Ronnie and Kenny and Mac all hit it. We all became very good friends. And so it wasn't the fact that uh, the, the other three didn't like me, uh, it, whether that mattered or not. It was the fact they didn't want to make it a, a five piece. They were very happy. Uh, they didn't want another guitar player. He was loud enough, they mm-hmm. said. So, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but um, so Steve got frustrated, I think. We never actually spoke about me joining the Small Faces, but I knew I got the feeling that's what was going on. Mm. And yeah. he, wanted to, he wanted somebody to take the pressure off so sure. that he could go, okay, Pete can you sing one and play some guitar? And I would have said, no, I don't want to sing one. Why don't you sing it? <laughs> and, but I'll play some guitar. But, but anyway, um, so in the end, he got frustrated. And uh, right after that session, that week's session, they did their last gig at Alexandra Palace and um, wow. theater, I think. there. And then Steve called me up and said, can I join your band? Because I was already trying to, I was had Jerry Shirley, who he'd found for me, yeah. the drummer. And I was ready to, I said, absolutely. But are you sure you want to lo- leave the small faces? Mm. <laughs> I said, absolutely. Wow. The start of a super group there, for sure. Wow. Well, I think this is a good time to interject a little bit, because your, your memoir, Do You Feel Like I Do, you know, came out, and obviously paperback now as well. 
Tell us a little bit about that process of putting your memoir together. It's a lot harder than I thought it would be. And the actual telling the stories, um, Alan Light, fantastic to work with, great writer. Thank goodness for him. (laughs) He really helped me and guided me. So he came down here. I went up to New York, you know, every other weekend-ish. I don't know, about a dozen times, and, and we stick our phone on record, and and he'd ask me questions from, you know, when I could first remember to today. That was the easy part. Then what they do is they put the whole thing into one huge manus- manuscript. They transcribe everything that's on the tape, even the uhs and ahs and the cough, and the, it's all there. And you have to, like, look at it. It's like this thick, you know, and you have to go through it and start making it sound like you're not a rambling idiot. You know, so that was the most difficult part. But they said that because I'm a perfectionist, I kept on changing it and re-editing it and re-editing it and re-editing it. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a longer drawn out thing than, uh, because once I got into the editing, I realized this is going to be out there forever. Yeah, you know, uh, right. Sure. I, I've got, this has got oh, to be yeah. correct, you know. And even in the hardback, there's a couple of little tiny errors. Uh, uh, you know, this color was wrong or that, but nothing, nothing substantial. But I was able to do the the most enjoyable part of the book was reading it for the audio tape, ah, uh, the audio book. Oh, cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed. Did that in my studio here in Nashville, and. And it was like about, it was 10 days. I was going to ask how long that took. Yeah. 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 Two hours in the morning, lunch, and two hours in the afternoon. That's about all I could man- manage because otherwise you start going, I've had a lot. You stop being able to talk. So, um, yeah. And that was it. And then. Um, and the tricky part was double tracking that recitation, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Putting a third harmony on it. Yeah, exactly. But we did, and I did do some, only for the, the audio book, I did do some special little instrumental pieces. Oh, nice. I actually did a version of uh, From the Underworld acoustically, which was the Herd's first big hit. Yeah. yeah. So I had in between a few chapters, there was just music. And um, I enjoyed I enjoyed that the audiobook part, obviously because I'm all about audio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Congratulations on that, by the way. That's that's Thank quite you. A, an accomplishment. And I congratulate you for not hiring James Earl Jones to do the audiobook for you. So that was <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It wouldn't it wouldn't have sounded right. No. No. The good thing is that, you know, I I do have a few accents that I do and and which are of course I do scavolo from the shoot you're talking about you bastard um more rolling stone cover the rolling stone so I'm in there and he's going beat the beat the please if you don't mind I, I love this session it's so good you're going great you look fabulous darling but I really really want you to do a uh, one shot with your shirt. No, no the shirt does not come off. <laughs> not coming off. Okay? okay, okay, Peter. Okay, snap, 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 snap. Oh, time to change the clothes. Oh, why you've got the shirt off, Peter? Um, would you mind? No, 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 no shirt off. Okay, 
So anyway, okay, snap, 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 snap. And then we get to the end of the session and he goes, fantastic. Oh, marvelous. Um, so, Peter, I tell you, because he got the, the order from Jan Wenner, you better get a shot of him with his shirt off. I know that's what happened. So he said, Peter, I... I didn't know I hit such a sore point earlier on. <laughs> no, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. So, so then he goes, Peter, it's just for me and you. I take one shot, shot off for just me. I said, I don't really want one. <laughs> and he said, I, you know, please, for me, Peter, please, please. The one, oh, it would make my heart big. So I said, all right. I took the shirt off, snap, front cover Rolling Stone. There it is, folks. Never give in. Never give in. <laughs> yeah, That's right. Pretty iconic, though. So, you know. That's classic. Yeah. You didn't want just a copy of it. I can understand that. No, like, really? no, no. Instead of looking at a picture of myself with no shirt on. I've got a question on the new record, uh, Forgets the Words, which I love the title. How did you decide what songs? I knew that I wanted to do a song by Dave, David, and that one was Loving the Alien is the song that I got my guitar feature in the Glass Spider tour. And he gave me, I mean, I, I would play four or five minutes at the end of the song and walk down the steps and in front of the, it was a big, big deal for me, you know, to, to have this guitar feature on David's show. It was just, he gave me such a gift mm-hmm. and reinvigorated my career, you know. But anyway, so I knew I wanted to do that. Uh, one of my perfect albums is Avalon. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Roxy I don't think there's ever going to be a record quite as perfect as that. It's just so great. Great cover. And, and, and it's just, uh, it could have been any song off that album, but, but in the end I used, I, I, I loved Avalon. And I really wanted to try and emulate his in, inflection uh, of not his voice sound, mm-hmm. but just his offhand you know, wonderful, you know, performance on that. It's well, all of them. He's, he's great. But anyway, so, and then I just went through the guys in the band. We just done recorded two albums. This was before, sorry, we'd done one album, uh, a blues album, the blues record, which is great. Right, All blues. This was in between coming off tour with Steve Miller and going on the 2019 finale tour, we, I said, I knew what I had at that point, the IBM. And I said, it's going to affect my fingers. Let's go in the studio. I want to record as much as possible in the shortest space of time. So I, I want to rush this. So I couldn't, I didn't want to write anything. So we, that's why we did blues covers. Sure. But we did 50 tracks. There's another album coming out, you know. Awesome. Day. Yeah. Cause you released that blues record in 2019. 19. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously whatever happened after that. Yeah. So, uh, but right after we finished that, we went, we went straight from that into Frampton forgets the words Okay. before the finale tour. It's been done a couple of years. And uh, so all the guys, we all made lists of favorite songs, what everyone thought, like we did with the blues album, what would we like to do? So I had this huge list of mine and theirs, and I just sat down, put them all in iTunes and in a program and i'd click and just played along with all of them and that's how i picked them out which one's interesting yeah isn't it a pity i was gonna say yeah very great choice man did you play on the original song i know you're on the the original album you're on that song wow what a what a classic take us back to that experience if you would 
Yes, well, it was um, the first uh, I, I had I had met George at Trident Studios, um, his personal assistant, Terry Doran, who is actually the man from the motor trade that Paul writes about. Oh, and he, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he was first John's uh, personal assistant, and then he became George's personal assistant. So he introduced me to George at Trident Studios, and they were doing, George was producing Doris Troy's album, which was his first production for the Apple label, the Beatles Apple label. So I walk in the control room, and there's my first Beatles sighting. And, um, mm. and he's right there behind the, the console, and he comes out and he goes, hello, Pete. You know, and I thought, what? Is there another Pete here? Um, I, but obviously he knew what I, it's like, a Beatle knows who I am? Yeah. This can't be, you know. So anyway, we, we start talking and we hit it off straight away. And, and he's a, he was a lovely man. And uh, he said, you want to play? So I said, what? Now? He said, yeah. He said, we're just routine this one song, you know. So come on down, you know. So I, I came down. He gave me this very now very famous guitar that Eric gave him, which was it's called Lucy. It's a weird red color. And it had been refinished quite a few times. And he used it, Eric used it on While My Guitar Gently Weeps. I didn't know this at the time. And um, so he plugs me into a champ amp, shows me the chords. And I'm I'm so like, uh, I don't know, in, in, a, in a space I've never been in before, literally. And I didn't realize that sitting right here next to me is Stephen Stills. Mm. So, <laughs> wow. I said, Oh my God, Stephen Stills. Hi, how are you? And so there he was with the white Gretsch, the whole, oh, just how oh, I picked cool. you. Yeah. You know, then we start playing the song and George stops because I'm playing rhythm and he stops and he goes, No, Pete, I want you to play lead. Oh, wow. I said, Why? Oh, because I was playing very quiet rhythm, you know, uh, don't overstep your bounds, you know. And so in the end, I ended up playing all the intro and uh, uh, all the fills on the very first single from Ain't That, it's called Ain't That Cute. And then George did a little slide solo in the middle. And then he asked me, but after that, he asked me back to play on the rest of the record, which was about seven tracks. Lovely. Ringo, Klaus Foreman, Billy Preston, you know, all these. Wow. And then, a, you know, maybe a month or two, if that, weeks later, George called, he'd always call me call me himself and he said i'm doing my first uh, you know solo record would you play on it so i said absolutely yeah he said well, i just need you to play we're playing a lot of acoustics because phil specter is is producing so we've got like you'll make it well it'll be like five acoustic guitar players i said great because it was members of Badfinger, george and then me and uh so I played on um, about five tracks on the actual tracking sessions. Mm -hmm. um, but then after I left that week, they, I think they were just about finished with tracking. Um, George called me up another week later and said, Phil wants more acoustics. So, um, <laughs> so I said, are you, are you kidding me? He said, I know. So, um, <laughs> so, so uh, there's just, now I'm in the Sergeant Pepper room in front of the glass, sitting on a stool next to George on a stool, just the two of us, two acoustics. And he, 
he put up all the tracks I played on. We overdubbed more acoustics. Then tracks I hadn't played on started coming up. I said, uh, you better show me the chords. So, um, so, but we would jam in between while it took, you know, in those days you couldn't hit, uh, record straight away after, after sure. strong. rewind the old, time. you had to rewind, but you also had to change reels. Yeah. Ah, yeah. So we would have, you know, three, four minutes, uh, at least before we would be ready for the next track. So we just jammed, you know, and there's nothing like that. Uh, no experience, um, apart from working with, David and which was also another moment, you know, but sitting next to George playing, playing guitar with him, just the two of us was, uh, wow. that was phenomenal. Yeah. I can't imagine. Oh, sure. You got big chills now. <laughs> when I listened this morning to, um, while my guitar gently weeps, which was both the studio version, then the version that you also did with Eric on stage, which was, fabulous it was amazing thank you i liked how sneaky and, and dane used the term lyrical earlier and so true the intro was beautifully removed from what you expected to come thereafter what you were playing was only only very close to the beginning of the song did you recognize the the setup chord that said okay this is going to go right. where we know it's going to go but it was lovely what you played there was just so so uh effortless and beautiful yeah thank you thank you very much no it's lovely well i got a question um do you remember the sessions uh, i'm a big tim harden fan oh, and you yeah. played on two of his records you played on painted head and nine do you recall uh, yes um those sessions at all yes i do um it was at apple studios okay in the ba the basement um there on savile row and um Tony Meehan, the drummer, who was the original drummer of The Shadows. Mm. Oh, wow. The yeah. Very cool. first few hits. And then he and Jet Harris, the bass player, who also left, they did a couple of duos together and had like number one hits. So instrumentals. So anyway, so I was a big fan of, of Tony. He called me up and said, I'm doing a record with Tim Hardin. Would you come and help? So I said, absolutely. Tim and I really hit it off. I mean, it was, I'm such a huge how could you not be a huge fan? What a songwriter. Jeez. Uh, but everything, those first two albums of his, one and two, yep. were all done in a very short space of time. And right. then he got heavily into, you know, drugs and heroin. And I tried so hard to sit down. At, at the end of each session, I would end up saying to Tim, you know, Tony had said, Maybe he can write one. Do you think you could help him finish one? I said, I, look, I'll do my best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I guided him to the piano and I said, play me something you're working on that you've had for a while, you know. And he would, he would play it and drop dead, you know, fantastic. And he'd have lyrics and then he'd stop. He said, I don't, I've never been able to finish this. I said, well, look, oh. it's and let's let's wow. do this uh how about this and then he said where's my where's my i i think i gotta go home and he would just oh wow what a shame we never got there but but he was a super super guy when he was obviously straight and had a heart of gold and yeah i, I feel very sorry for for him but what what a legacy he left us those first two records were yeah unbelievable yeah. guys you know what i gotta go 
totally understand. Got Thank you, man. you so much for your time. Thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Wow. All right. Thanks for making us big again. Yep. Yes, please, always, and stay as big as you are. Yeah, thank you. We'll do the best with you. Right. <laughs> uh, anytime, guys. This was a lot of fun. Thank, thank you. Like, thank you very much. All righty. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. We'll see you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.